Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here at Crossroads today. My name is Marshall, and my role here at this church is as our Mishawaka campus pastor. And I do want to welcome everybody from Mishawaka today. We're also joined with our uh, Edwardsburg campus and everyone online. But how's our Goshen crowd doing today? We doing all right? Yeah. We, we have bands at all of our campuses uh, leading us in worship from all of that Nazarene University, and it's amazing. The one thing I'll say about all of that, and then I won't say anything else, that is where I went to school. It is the best school on the planet. If you're a high schooler here today, you should go there. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, commercial over. Commercial over. Hey, I'm, I am really, really glad to be here today. I'm excited for the opportunity to speak into this message series that Pastor Tim has been leading us through called Thrive, right? We're talking about thriving in our relationship with God through developing good habits, good habits that help us thrive in a relationship with God. And much of this is framed by this uh, saying that Pastor Tim has been giving to us each week. And it says this on your screens, watch your thoughts. Because they become your words. Watch your words because they become your actions. Watch your actions because they become habits. And habits is where we're living. Watch your habits. They will become your character. And watch your character for it becomes your destiny. And I think this is a really astute phrase because it's accurate. And it's accurate because well, when I look at it, and each time Pastor Tim has, has led us through it, I've noticed a progression from start to finish that really goes like this. Watch your thoughts. They become your destiny. And to me, I don't know about you, but to me that's kind of a scary thought because I know some of the thoughts that I have in my head and I certainly don't want that to become my destiny. And so that's why we're leaning in right in the middle of that progression is habits. And we're leaning right into that habits portion and, and hopefully helping to shape our destiny in Jesus by focusing on Habits, developing good habits that help us thrive in a relationship with God. This is a good day to be here because we're talking about the concept of investing in relationships. That's our habit that we're trying uh, to, get, to get across today. Investing in relationships will help us thrive in our relationship with God. So with that in mind, let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt isolated, lonely, alone. A couple of years ago when I was a senior in college at Olivet, it was Christmas break and some friends of mine and I decided that we would take the first few days of the Christmas vacation and take a little trip. We were going to go north to the northern part of Wisconsin, basically Canada, and just spend a couple of days in a cabin uh, up there in, in northern Wisconsin. And, you know, it's basically Canada, which in my mind is basically the North Pole. And so we're like, well, there's going to be snow there. We're going to do some skiing, maybe some sledding, maybe some snowmobiling. It's going to be a good time. So after finals were over, we piled into a couple of cars and drove north. And this is the middle of December, but the weird thing was the further north that we drove, the warmer it became. And what happens when there's like four feet of melting snow and warm air is that it becomes really, really foggy. And so that fog that we drove into persisted the entire time we were there, the three or four days we were at this cabin. 
we were surrounded by fog and the snow was melting. And, and here in northern Indiana, right, we know all about like the wet, heavy snow this winter, don't we? That's like all we've had. That's not good for any kind of, any kind of uh, ske- uh, snowboarding or sledding or anything. It's not good for anything. And so we were just confined to the cabin this whole time. Well, this was also the time of my life when I was running competitively a lot. And so my senior track season was due to begin in just a few short weeks. We were going to have our first meet. And so that meant that I would have to train through this little trip. I would have to go out for a run. And truthfully, this was something I was used to. All through high school, all through college, anytime I went on vacation with my family, a trip with my friends, I would usually have to go off wherever we were, Florida, Tennessee, Colorado, Washington, D.C., wherever I was, I would have to go off on my own and, and go for a quick run. And so I was used to this. And so one afternoon, we're up in northern Wisconsin, we're in the cabin, and I said, okay, I'm going to go for a quick run, I'll be right back. And my plan is always to run straight out and come straight back so that I don't get lost. And I look for things like uh, landmarks that I can remember and say, okay, I know I passed that, so I, I, just to keep track of where I am or where I'm going. When I come to an intersection, I remember, do I turn left, do I turn right, do I go, do I go straight? So by the time that I was ready to turn around and go back to the cabin where all my friends were, the fog was so dense that I began to realize I really couldn't recognize any of the landmarks I had previously seen. I would come up to an intersection and recognize, I, I, don't, I don't know if I went straight. I think I went straight. Maybe I turned. And before I knew it, after a couple more miles of running, I had to stop in the middle of the road in the woods in northern Wisconsin, surrounded by fog so dense I couldn't see more than a few feet in front of me and recognize and admit that I was completely lost and utterly alone. And if you've ever felt lonely before, maybe you know that feeling of being isolated, of being surrounded maybe even by dense fog that feels like it's suffocating. And not knowing which way is home, who you're surrounded by, not knowing anything. My guess is in a, in a room this large with an audience as big as we have here at Crossroads, my guess is that many of us can resonate with this feeling of loneliness, this feeling of isolation. In fact, study after study over the last 10 years have shown that loneliness is spreading across our culture like an epidemic. A couple of stats that I want to share with you. The Pew Research Center estimated recently that one out of 10 adults in America feel completely, completely isolated or alone. One in 10, 10% feel completely isolated or alone. 40% of Americans report that they feel, even though they have relationships, they're not completely isolated or alone, they feel like those relationships are not meaningful. 40% percent of Americans feel like their relationships are not meaningful. And even another stat that I just found on Friday, after I had already uh, done most of the work in preparing for this, I saw an article from NPR that, that showed a survey that reported that three out of five Americans, three out of five Americans report being lonely. And, and the tragedy of this The tragedy of the fact that most of us either can resonate with that feeling or know someone who who can resonate with that feeling, the tragedy of that is that we were not created to be alone. 
That is not how God designed us to be. We were created for community. We were designed for connection with God and with other people. And if you look back at the creation story in the Bible, that's pretty clear because the the very beginning of Genesis starts like this. God created the heavens and the earth. He said it was good. God created the sun, the moon, the stars, said it was good. He created the land, the water, said it was good. Created the, the animals, said it was good. The vegetation, said it was good. Created us, created humans. And he was like, that's very good. But then all of a sudden, it says that man was alone. And that was not good. Good, 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 very good. The first thing in all of creation that was not good was for man to be alone. That's not how we were designed to be. We were not created for isolation. And if you look at that creation story in Genesis and then go just one chapter later, man's not alone anymore, right? We've got Adam and Eve. They're chilling in the garden with God. But eventually, they disobey. They they rebel against God. And how does that happen? Because Eve was not with Adam for a moment. She was by herself. And how many of us know that it's when we're feeling alone, when we're feeling isolated, that's when the devil can speak lies to us and we're most susceptible and vulnerable to those lies. And that's exactly what happened to Eve. She was tricked. And that's what happens to us, right? When we feel isolated and we feel alone, we start to buy the lie that we're not loved. We start to buy the lie that that God is not with us. We start to buy the lie that maybe God doesn't even exist. We start to buy the lie when we are not surrounded by a community. We buy the lie that there is no one out there for us. We feel like our relationships aren't meaningful or we feel like we are completely alone. So we get this, right? We resonate with this. Well, as we're talking about this concept of thriving in a relationship with God, we think we have to invest in relationships with one another. And in a culture that is growing more and more connected all the time through technology and through phones and through social media, in a culture that's growing simultaneously more connected but also more isolated than ever, what does the Bible have to say about that? What does the Bible have to say about this concept of thriving in a relationship with God through thriving in relationships and community with one another? Well, on the screens is going to be John chapter 1. This is a story from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So everything that happened that we know about from Jesus, everything in the Bible happened in like three years. And, and we know that over that time, he had like thousands of people. It, it sometimes the estimate is 20,000, 20, maybe even more people were following him. So hundreds and thousands of people followed him. But within that, he had a group of like 70 people who probably went like everywhere with him. And sometimes he gave them specific tasks. He sent them out. Men, women, it was a diverse group, 70 or so people. Within that, Jesus had the 12 disciples. We know that the 12 disciples were the ones who he trained and then commissioned to go out and plant the church that we're a product of today. And even within that 12 were the three, Peter, James, and John. And we can kind of understand that they were just simply Jesus' best friends. They were his best friends. And this story, right at the beginning of his three-year ministry, as we call it, is a story about Jesus calling his first disciples to follow him in community with one another. The story goes like this. The next day, John was there, John the Baptist, with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And immediately, when his two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. 
Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus replies with an invitation. I love this. He says, come, come check it out. Come see for yourself. Come with me. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went, they saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those two who had heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. And the first thing, this is really important, the first thing that Andrew did was find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. We found the guy, we found the one, we found him. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, apparently just sitting on the side of the road, I don't know. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. But before he did that, he found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel's response is hilarious. He goes, Nazareth? Are you serious? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip's reply is crucial. He said, come and see. Come and see. That's the same phrase, essentially, that Jesus used when they asked him where he was going. Jesus, where are you going? Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Every time somebody started following Jesus in this story, whether it was John the Baptist, whether it was Andrew, whether it was Philip, each and every one of them went and found somebody else and invited them along or pointed them to Jesus. And that's really crucial because that's what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus, right? Is invite other people to follow along with us because remember, we weren't designed for trying to follow Jesus by ourselves. We were created for community. And the invitation that they give is really, really interesting to me. They just say, come and see. None of these guys, Andrew, Philip, John, none of them knew really what they were getting themselves into. They had no idea what the next three years would hold and and the crucifixion and Easter and the fact that what they did by just saying yes to Jesus would change the entire trajectory of not only their lives but also the world. They had no idea of any of that. And so when Andrew went out and found his brother Peter, and when Philip went out and found his brother Nathaniel, they just said, hey, come check this out with me. I think this guy Jesus might be the real deal. He might be, I don't know, but why don't you come check it out with me? And I think for us here today, we know we're supposed to, you know, it's good to invite people to church. We talk about the fact that you're loved here, right? This is a community that that breathes life, and we want other people to be a part of it, and we get that, but I think sometimes we get hung up on not feeling qualified, we don't feel qualified to invite, right? I don't, I don't have all my stuff figured out yet. So I, once I have it all figured out, then I'll invite someone. Or, or maybe once, maybe once I, I, my life's a little bit more put together, then I'll invite someone. Or maybe like once I know for sure that this is true, because maybe, maybe you're here today, and I hope there are people like this here today who aren't even sure about any of this, and you're just investigating yourself. What we find from this story is that each and every one of these people, even though they weren't sure, they still invited somebody along and said, just come and see. Just come and check this out with me. So that's part of our challenge today, is to recognize that we don't have to be qualified, have it all together, be the perfect Christians 
have Jesus completely figured out before we invite someone else. We can let Jesus do all of that work. We just have to invite. That's all they did. That's all they did was invite. So in a world that's growing more connected and more isolated at the same time, how do we thrive by investing in relationships with other people? Well, I think three things happen when we invest in relationships with God, when we, when we, or with others. When we thrive in a relationship with others, three things happen. We're connected to others, we're closer to God, and we're centered on the mission. So that first one, we're connected to others. Uh, you did not need to come to church today to learn that investing in relationships makes you closer to others, right? That's obvious, right? We, we, we all know, that's not mind-blowing, we all know that. But I think the important piece here is that the connection to others that happens when we're intentionally investing in relationships is a genuine connection, is an authentic connection. 40% of us don't feel like our relationships are meaningful. 40% of us, according to these stats, don't feel like we have a genuine, authentic connection. But by investing truthfully, investing in relationships with one another, we are closer to them, we are connected to them in a genuine and authentic way. And I'm going to talk for a moment about social media, something that is neither good nor bad, but it is prevalent. I think on Facebook I have 1,300 friends, I think. I think I have 1,300 or so friends on, on Facebook. I don't know any of them, really. I know, I know a lot of them. I don't know most of them. I don't have genuine, true, authentic connections with them. Our world's growing more connected each and every day. We have Instagram. We have, we have Twitter followers. There's something called TikTok that I don't really understand what that is. But I heard all the college students talking about it. So I'd ask them, go to all of that tables that you're, if you're watching at a campus, go there, ask. I don't know. It's a thing. We're growing more connected each and every day. And yet more isolated each and every day. But when we truly invest in relationships in a true and authentic way with another person face to face, that leads to a genuine connection with them that each and every one of us was designed for, created for, and is required for us to truly thrive. And our memory verse for this week is Proverbs 27, 17. It says this, as iron sharpens iron... So a friend sharpens a friend. A genuine, true, real, authentic connection, meaningful connection with someone else makes you better and makes them better. As iron sharpens iron, so a true friendship makes everyone involved better. When we are connected to others, guys, it's good for everyone involved because that's how we are designed to be. But it leads into the next part of this, that when we're truly, genuinely connected to someone else, we are closer to God. And that, I think, is because more often than not, we see God through one another. I see God through you. You hopefully see God through me. The more genuine connection we have with other people, the more we see God because God lives in each and every one of us. And so the closer we are to others, the closer we are to God. And the analogy that I like to use for this is a campfire, okay? I know that it's January 26th right now. And it's hard for us to remember summer. But do you remember summer? It's amazing. There's blue sky. Sun is shining. When you go outside, the air doesn't hurt your face. It's amazing. 
So imagine it's a warm summer evening, okay? It's a warm summer evening. You've got all your family and friends around a campfire. And the campfire's been burning for a while, and after a little while, you know, it all kind of burns down. And what happens when a campfire burns down? It's, it's just really just a pile of hot coals, right? Glowing hot coals, perfect for cooking a marshmallow. Perfect for cooking a marshmallow. But what happens if you take one of those coals from that fire on that warm summer night, and you pick it up with some tongs, and you remove it from the pile? You isolate it. It wouldn't take very long for that one isolated single coal to stop glowing, to stop giving off heat. Pretty soon you could just pick it up with your hand. It would be good for nothing. Well, that pile of coals that are connected to one another, that are close to one another, are providing heat to one another. They're providing warmth to one another, and they're being used for the purpose that they were designed and created for. Guys, in the same way for us, we are designed and created for community, and when we are isolated, we lose. It's really hard to be on fire for God when you're isolated from this community. It really is. You can try it, but I don't think you'll keep glowing for very long. I don't think you stay warm for very long. There's a very practical nature to being in community, and it helps us be continually and continually closer to God. And then that finally leads to the third part, being centered on the mission. When we're connected to others in a genuine way, we're closer to God. When we're closer to God, we are centered on his mission of connecting other people to that love. Because we live in a world, guys, that even though we're connected in many ways, we feel isolated. We feel lonely. We have people who walk through these doors, who you work with, uh, who you encounter every single day, who need to be connected to this love and this good news of Jesus that he knows you and he loves you. And the more you know God, the closer you are to him and to his heart, the more centered you are on his mission of connecting other people with him. That's what we're all about here at Crossroads. We, we try and get that message out that you are loved. But that's a team effort. That's all of us getting centered on that mission day in and day out, inviting people to this place and taking advantage of the opportunities for connection here. I just want to share with you one final stat as the band is coming back up. 54% of Americans, 54% of Americans, that's a majority, right? 54%, I'm not great at math, but I know that that's a majority. 54% of you and me, of us Americans, feel like nobody truly knows us well. Maybe we have connection, maybe we have relationships, but most of us feel like nobody knows the real us. Nobody knows the true version of who we are, because if they did, they wouldn't like us. They wouldn't want to be around us. We would scare them away. There'd be too much shame and guilt involved. So we Nobody truly knows us well. That's how a majority of us feel. I want to go back and see what happens to Nathaniel after he starts following Jesus with Philip. Remember, Philip came up to him and said, hey, we found the guy. We found Jesus. Nathaniel's like, I don't, I don't buy it. And, and Philip says, hey, just come and see. Just come and check it out for yourself. And so this is what happens when he starts following When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And look at what Nathanael says. He's part of that 54%. He said, How do you know me? 
And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And from that one statement, Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. We don't know what Nathanael was doing under that fig tree. We don't know. Probably something shady. We really don't know. I don't know. Oh, shady, I get it. I'm funnier than I think. That was good. Shady. Definitely something shady. We don't know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. But what he recognized in that moment was that Jesus did. And what he recognized in that moment is that Jesus knew him deeply and personally. He knew the good, the bad, and the ugly about Nathaniel. He knew everything about him. And he still loved him. And he still accepted him. And Nathaniel became one of the 12 disciples that went on to help change the world. So for those of us who are here today who feel like nobody truly knows us well, friends, please, if you get nothing else from this today, know that Jesus knows you. Jesus knows the good, the bad, and the ugly about you, and he loves you and accepts you anyway. And therefore, we here at Crossroads will love and accept you anyway. And that's what this is all about, guys. That's the mission that we are trying to be centered on and connect other people to. So there I was, right, northern Wisconsin, standing in the middle of a road, in the middle of the forest, surrounded by dense fog, unable to see more than a few feet in front of me, alone and lost. Eventually, I made it home. How did I do that? I took a step. I took one foot and I put it in front of the other one, and then I took another foot and I put it in front of that one, and, and I kept taking steps, and I just pressed on. I just kept going. I didn't let my isolation keep me there. I didn't let the fact that I couldn't see where to go keep me there. I didn't just give up. I had to get home. So I kept taking steps, and eventually the fog literally cleared. And I could see the cabin where all my friends were. And the only thing that made me not alone anymore was the fact that I was back where I was supposed to be. So my question for you today, to use the analogy of that story, is... Maybe you're a Nathaniel who feels isolated, who feels alone, feels like nobody knows you truly, deeply, nobody knows you well. And maybe you just need to take a step, and then another step, and then another step, and don't let the loneliness be paralyzing. But maybe you need to take advantage of some of the things we have here at this community, a connect group, a team to help serve and volunteer with, maybe going on the Ecuador trip. Maybe you're a Nathaniel and you need today to take a step to invest in a relationship. But maybe you're a Philip. Maybe you're a Philip and what you need to do is take a good look at the people in your life around you who might feel isolated and invite them. Say, hey, come and see. I go to this place on Sundays. It's called Crossroads. It's okay. Come and see. Come check it out for yourself. We'll take you to lunch afterwards. Come and see. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but just come and see. Are you investing in relationships that will help you thrive in your relationship with God? Let's pray together. 
Jesus, we know that even though we feel lonely a lot, and even though we feel isolated quite often, and we feel like nobody knows us well, God, we know that you know us, you created us, you know everything about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you love us anyway. God, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do with that most of the time. Other than just praise you and say thank you. God, we know that this is a very real struggle that a lot of people have. So God, would you help us as a church be a place, a community that people can be involved with to the point of fulfilling their destiny? God, we are meant for community. We are meant for relationship. Help us to do that and in doing so thrive in our relationship with you. Thank you for loving us, for knowing us, for accepting us, and for continually sending us out on your mission to connect other people to that good news. We pray this in your name. Amen.